0: is not a cycle in my reckoning i don't think we're going to top and we're going to have another four year revolution where we have like a one-year bear market it's not looking like that at all
1: hello there welcome to the what bitcoin did podcast which is brought to you by gemini the only place i am using for buying bitcoin i'm your host peter mccormack and first up today we have sportsbet.io the very best place online gaming because they're so badass that they accept bitcoin Now, look, if you are interested in putting a bet on sports, football, anything out there, Sportsbet has you covered. Alongside football, they support tennis and motorsports. They've got US sports and they even support esports. And for new customers, they always have a range of promotions available. So if you want to find out more, please head over to sportsbet.io forward slash promotions, which is S-P-O-R-T-S-B-E-T dot I-O forward slash promotions. And next up, we have the Exodus wallet, who I use exclusively as my mobile and desktop wallet for my Bitcoin. And as you know, because I talk about it all the time, UX is super important to me. So when the team at Exodus reached out and they said, Pete... We want to sponsor your podcast. I was like, well, come on. I've got to play with it first. I'm not just going to take your money. Do you know what? They crushed it, which is why I'm happy to recommend it to you, my friends, and my family. Now, Exodus Desktop gives you a way to secure and manage your Bitcoin in one beautiful application. And with their mobile wallet, you can send and receive safely using a QR code or address knowing that Exodus automatically checks all addresses for errors. So make sure you check it out at Exodus.com or search for Exodus in the Google or Apple App Stores. And that is E-X-O-D-U-S. And lastly, this week, we have CASA, which is the safest way for you to store your Bitcoin. Now, forgotten passwords, SIM swaps, and phishing attacks, there are all too many ways for your Bitcoin to be lost or stolen. But with CASA, you never have to worry about this shit again. Because with a CASA multi-sig wallet, you can take custody of your Bitcoin, but you only move Bitcoin by signing transactions from multiple wallets, and you get to distribute those wallets into different locations. And that is going to protect you from a range of mistakes errors and vulnerabilities. Now, if you want to find out more about this, you can email me, you can drop me a DM. I always reply. I've been a customer for about a year now and happy to answer your questions. There is no better time to upgrade your Bitcoin security and get total peace of mind. You can find out more at keys.casa, which is K-E-Y-S dot C-A-S-A.
2: You should see how fancy it is when we do it in person. We have a studio. We've we've got to do one in person at one point.
0: I know. We got to, I saw you do one in person, and there you were on a couch as Robo Peter.
2: Joe, <laughs> <laughs> do you know, I don't like those couch ones. I like a table <laughs> and two two people sat opposite each other, and, and then I can have like a pen and a pad. Those couch. Oh, Joe Rogan like style. All, yeah, I just feel like <laughs> awkward on a couch.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Was that because you had a like sore back, or you, you shouldn't? Right. You fixed that.
2: No, I just um just. When I was in New York, I just booked a suite thinking we could use it. Um, and the one I had for Michael Malice, they didn't have the same uh, setup. So the one I had with Michael Malice was a wide suite, and so we could have a table at the end sit opposite each other. But the formation, the the like, the way this room was set up, it was a long uh, one. So you can you couldn't do the same setup. So it was kind of annoying. So we just used a couch, and I didn't like. All it All right, okay, fair enough. Anyway, anyway, man, you well. Yeah, pretty good, pretty good, yeah. <laughs> How's your month um, been? It's
0: been like, um, I don't know, it's like this year's like every day is very similar, but different, like, you know, things change in, within um, the work, which is really interesting. But, you know, you're in a house. Um, we kind of took a staycation, went went to a hotel, booked a suite, took the baby along, test run for the... Uh, the traveling ahead and yeah there was there was a change but yeah same old same old markets well, are different
2: we, hopefully we're going to meet up let's talk about markets man so i've no idea where we are where we're going it doesn't feel like 2013 and it doesn't feel like 2017 i just don't know where we are <laughs> well where, where the hell are yeah. we willie
0: well, that's what i've been telling everybody this is unique uh, this this bull run, 2020, 2021, is, we've never seen anything like it before. Um, structurally, it's completely different, right? Um, so you can template all you like the the price pattern um, from 2013, or oh, we're going to do a double pump. But um, the underlying um, investor activity is very, very different. Um, and, like, yeah, I mean, Bitcoin's maturing. Uh, it's getting very uh, much larger players We have institutions coming along. we've had a lot of speculators that are trading correlations which we saw this last week is the you know like this for example, this last week um, we've had nothing but buying by investors. They're buying on the exchanges they're scooping it up, moving it off to cold storage and you can look forensically at the blockchain and go, oh okay, they're buying. And actually right now, which is really um, like not very common is that you see the long term investors. And when I say long term, I mean it's not really long term. You don't know how long they'll hold those coins for, but these are the guys that are keep accumulating. They just they buy, they they seldom actually sell any of their coins. And then you've got these guys that are like what I call the swing traders, the medium term guys that buy and sell and those guys are buying as well so um everyone's buying right now meanwhile the price is collapsing because you've got this new kind of speculative um risk off trading you know people are like leverage trading and they're selling down <clears throat> that's the only explanation for this this um price pullback is that we had the evergreen um ever how do you pronounce that evergrade, evergrade. <laughs> I just read <laughs> I think it's Ever grand. Evergrande, okay, Evergrande, Um Scare, and also we had the, the Fed tapering kind of, um, like, notice, and you can see the S- S&P 500 starting to um, test support. And had, we went into this last weekend like that, and um, on the weekend trading, it started to um, look very weak, and it sold off, and Bitcoin likewise started selling off. Um So it was just selling off on a correlation to the S&P 500, um, where nothing like nothing but spot buying, and so um, yeah, that's that's what that's what's one of the things that's interesting in this year is that we've got different um, actors in the market, and they're all doing different things, and obviously I I look on chain, so I look at what um, medium long term investors doing. Um, to see what speculators doing, you really have to use derivatives data, um, <clears throat> and now that's not quite as reliable. But yeah, so we've had this kind of mismatch, and like, I mean, I think a few people got very, very bearish, um, but there's really no cause to be super bearish. And I, I think there's even a few people that are in a in a they still think we're in a bear market, um, but like again. Structurally, on-chain What the real investors are doing is We've never been in a bear market um, Arguably, you may Might have been tipped into a bear market But more like A a Little bit of a Bear market within a greater Macro setup And so, yeah, that's That's, that's the interesting thing um, This cycle Is not a cycle, in my reckoning But um, <laughs> Like, oh, it's, a, it's this cycle is different. I'm like, oh, it's not even a cycle. Um, like, I, I don't think we're going to top and we're going to have another four-year sort of um, revolution where we have, like, a one-year bear market. It's not looking like that at all. Um, we'll have. I think that's actually, healthy, though, Willie. Really. Yeah, well, it, it was eventually going to happen, right? Eventually, you know, um, the halvening will not be... Um, Powerful enough because, you know, what is it? 1.6% inflation rate is what the miners are adding to the Bitcoin supply. You know, whether it's right now, whether it's half a percent inflation rate, or is a 0.1% inflation rate, sooner or later, mm. that's not going to mean anything. You know, it's going to go to zero. At a certain point, it's going to break loose from the halvening cycle and there's going to be other effects that impact it, and <clears throat> I think it's already happened. Um, and even right now is like the interesting thing is the the mining has gotten so large and so like corporate that you know we're starting to see numerous um, like mining operations that are publicly traded, and those guys now many of them aren't selling because. They are really, you know, people investing in them for their Bitcoin. Um, so they're not selling; they sell more equity to get more um, Bitcoin um, through their mining operations. So that sort of sell down's gone um, from some of the large operators. So yeah, we're I think we're broken loose already. So it's like breaking, you know. I'm I'm not, you know. There's a lot of people thinking, oh wow, well, as the thing gets bigger and bigger and bigger the cycles will lengthen. I'm not saying that either. I think that we were, it's binary. We had this four-year lock-in from the halvening and then once we break free, then we're, we're in correlations to macro and macro cycle around roughly 10 years. And I think because of that, this won't be a cycle. We're, we're correlated to macro more than um, Bitcoin's internal um, halvening. So, yeah, it's not like other cycles because a we're not in a cycle, and b underneath the structure of um, what the investors are doing is completely different than what we've ever seen before.
2: Well, I think breaking the cycles actually bullish for Bitcoin. Um, I I would I would exchange a, a smaller top this year for not having a large drawdown that starts next year. I don't like the I don't like the structure of a four year cycle. I. Um, Look, if I knew it, understood it, I could trade it, yeah, obviously it's great for gains. But if, if we want the market to mature and we want Bitcoin to be an asset that more people come in and use and don't fear the volatility, I I would much rather have a, a more stable price than these four-year cycles. So I think it's actually bullish for Bitcoin. And also, if, we, if the cycle is broken, there isn't going to be that big incentive for a massive sell-off come January. Well, less people have got to pay their taxes.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know, I because we've got other impacts, right? Like um, fourth quarter, you know, well, that's well in the zone where we're all expecting ETS to start coming in in America. And uh, fourth quarter is where we expect much more um, institutional in terms of corporate treasuries coming in. Um, so, you know, these these, these kind of demand and supply things meet and maybe... The buying is going to overwhelm it. Certainly, is setting up that way um, structurally on chain, and but I agree. Like um, you know, it's good to not have those eighty percent pullbacks over a year because it wreaks havoc on um, all of Bitcoin's um, metrics, volatility, sharp ratio, risk, the risk undertaken, all that sort of stuff. It all just means that. Um, you can allocate more if the risk is less um so yeah no it's 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 that's the great thing about this this industry is it keeps changing and you know everything we've learned in the past does not necessarily apply into the future um particularly these kind of fractals that you know of cycles i think it's it's not going to work um this shorter time frames maybe but not the not the larger ones because I think we're in a different era. Like all the metrics are broken as well. Like on chain, all those metrics that I used to use a year or even two, two, two to two to once two years ago, um, I don't even look at them now. I think they're just so archaic. They're like stone age tools um, compared to the stuff we need to look at today. Um, that's advancing as well. Um, so yeah, it's it's a. Uh, yeah, it's a, a whole new ball game right now with um, these markets um,
2: Has it made trading harder for you?
0: Mm, no, I think it's become better well, it's hard because I'm not the same person I was two years ago, I'm I'm learning as well so I really feel like I didn't, um, I wasn't consistently profitable until the last maybe 18 months, maybe even 12 months um, and on-chain analysis has been a big part of that and I mean, uh, my size of trade is probably I don't know, it's probably about 50 times bigger than it used to be um, a year ago Um, so like, you know, that gives me, it gives you an idea of the confidence I have now than I used to and um, yeah, like, so I think I'm getting better it's getting better, like I'm getting better, it's Harder to, maybe I think it is harder to trade these markets. But um, an interesting thing that I've like, um, I'm, you know, I'm t- coming around to Bitcoin is not. Um, <clears throat> if you're going to trade Bitcoin really properly, you you don't want to be trading just Bitcoin. You really want to take a look at the greater um, crypto ecosystem and trading all of it. Um, you might hate this.
2: No, but you know what. Pro- It's funny. I've got it in my notes here because I've been trying to be as objective as I possibly can about the broader crypto market uh, for a couple of reasons. I don't want to just be a maxi because every other Bitcoin I know is a maxi and therefore I feel pressured to be one. Um, and I also want to recognise like the wider role I'm doing with the podcast. Now, listen, I'm not going to start covering altcoins. It's not a thing. I've made a, a, an Ethereum show with Lame Retic because he quit the Ethereum Foundation, and I think that's a super interesting conversation about governance. And you can compare. What I think is, and what he says, is the failures in Ethereum governance to what right. has been successful governance in Bitcoin. Some people say there's no Bitcoin governance, but they're clearly mm, is. There totally is.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, no, um, uh,
0: okay. yeah. I'm not yeah. going
2: to suddenly make what Ethereum did, whilst I could probably double my annual revenue. I'm not going to do what Solana did, and I'm not going to cover those projects. But what I am going to do is try and get a broader understanding of where the crypto market is going, what it means for Bitcoin, Um, And another reason I'm doing this as well is that I'm not sure how effective arguing with people over crypto versus Bitcoin is. And I'm not sure if actually it's a net negative. One, for me personally in terms of my podcast. Two, wider for Bitcoin. So let me just, we're jumping way ahead of something I wanted to discuss in this. So there is this kind of overlying threat as a Bitcoiner that if you consider any other crypto, that you can uh, have your reputation destroyed and cancelled. We saw that when Breedlove mm-hmm. took a look at, um, what was it called?
0: BitClout. BitClout.
2: BitClout, yeah. Now, don't get me
0: wrong. I... It, was, it was BitClout, the Twitter social network thing. Yeah, BitClout, wasn't it?
2: Yeah, I've got no interest yeah. in BitClout, but I've been at two... I was at three conferences in the last week in New York, and they were crypto conferences, and I went there to talk about Bitcoin. But I kind of want to understand the wider crypto thing. I, uh, I'm halfway through Alan Farrington's document. I'm following Udi's tweeting at the moment with interest, and I'm mm-hmm. ha- I'm happy to discuss it. But I'm perfectly aware that there is like this overlying threat that if you go a little bit too into crypto that you risk being cancelled. Now listen, I don't give a fuck. If people want to cancel me, they can. But I'm trying to understand people. I'm trying to understand motivations. and am trying to understand where technology is going. Now listen, my conclusion is quite simple. In that, I, I, I'm basically agreeing with both Udi and Alan. I don't think these th- things are all scams. Yes, there are scams. I don't think these things are scams. I think some of them are... Basically, my, my comparison is Bitcoin is my vault, crypto is Vegas. I keep my money in my vault, some people go to Vegas. And I'm watching these hmm. people in Vegas have loads of fun. My, my explanation on uh, Twitter the other day is uh, I feel like I'm in a conference room in Las Vegas discussing human rights and financial freedom, watching people on the roulette wheel through the window. That's why I, I feel like is <laughs> going on.
0: Yeah, I'm looking at it very similar similar, but not similar. I don't call it a a casino because a casino is, you know, you can't beat the house, whereas um, I think of it more like um, venture investment, Um, like Bitcoin as money. So I'm a maximalist on Bitcoin as money. I think it's one. Um, And people often think I'm a maximalist, but I'm not. I think that there will be a lot of interesting technology that's going to come out of the space um, and this is one of the problems if if you're in Bitcoin if you start talking about stuff that's outside of Bitcoin you're considered promoting scams yes. which I don't think is the case in 2021 um, 2017 a lot of it was scams and there's a lot of Ponzi's and still is now but there's some really interesting technologies out there and you know the, the, the due diligence is fully available if you want to be the VC type so I, no, let's face it. Bitcoin is not going to do a ten thousand X from here. Other than Bitcoin um, fiat going to infinity in terms of money printing, it's not in terms of real returns of things you can buy. Maybe in a gold based return, um, it's not going to do another ten thousand X. We might get a hundred X, maybe a thousand X, but um, over the next until saturation. Um, and then, so if this is your money, then it's like. Um, some of these technologies are going to be pretty interesting, you know. Um, and so I do think there's, there's value if you want to invest in some of this stuff, but you really have to be like a, like an angel investor in, in a, a seed level startup, um, which I've done because I've done startups in the past oh man, it's a 98 percent failure rate, right? And you would call that a scam. Like you would go, oh, you you raise money, you try, you see, you told a pitch, and then you try to build something, and then you you kept raising money and try to build something, and you had not got any customers yet, but no one does. You're just trying to get critical mass and and eventually you run out of money and it, it collapses. And then like as a seed investor, you don't call that person a scammer. You just say that was a failed high-risk investment because only 98 only 2% of the 90 of the hundred percent um get through to, um, being, you know, a liquidity event. And, um, these are very similar. They're very, um, untested technology. No one's figured out the stuff before and you will totally, um, lose, lose money on this if you make the wrong bets. Um, the only difference is that you've got a live traded price, which is open to manipulation. I think that bit is debatable. I mean, I don't even think it's debatable. I think it's really open to um, a lot of scamming. But behind all of this, some of the really good projects, and actually, luckily, like the top 20, many of them actually are doing some interesting um, things, right? And so it's not like if you looked at 2017, the top 10, top 20 were like full of crappy projects. Um, so I, I think... Um, I no, mean, I wasn't going to go down this path, but there is that analogy to Bitcoin. Is, yeah, that Bitcoin is money and then you can try your hand in venture investing into this stuff that retail can now do because you can't do this on equities because the SEC have like shut all that down since the dot-com crash. Sabine Oxley has like, made the um, requirements for a growing venture um, to be too high so you get the likes of Uber becoming like a um, hundred billion or whatever um, valuation before even it looks at getting listed, and and no one wants to like invest in something that's had the first ten thousand x taken by the VCs and the rich guys, and so here we've got this realm where um, we can retail can do their own research, which. The, some of them are very sophisticated, so there's that that part of it um, that I think um, is valid. Um, the other part I was really going to talk about um, just the markets itself is if you were to well, trade it, we,
2: we'll come we'll, we'll come back to that the markets I itself because I I think the actual actually discussing what this stuff is actually is super important, and I'm trying to I'm trying to evolve my idea and or my ideas around it in a way which explains like, exactly where I are with people. Because I I, I want to avoid... like I'm happy to talk about this stuff. I, I'll never be stopped talking about what I want to talk about. But I, I want to avoid people saying the accusation will come that Pete's now a shitcoiner who's going to turn the show into a shitcoin show. That, that's not going to happen. <laughs> I, am, I am entirely focused on Bitcoin because I'm fo- entirely focused on Bitcoin as money and I consider crypto fintech. I think crypto outside of Bitcoin has largely failed to be uh, uh, decentralized enough, but I do think it succeeded on the permissionless layer. Um, mm. I do though, long-term think most of these protocols are screwed, whereas Bitcoin is here for perhaps a century or centuries. I, I, I struggle to think yeah, well, something better. And, and that's
0: totally valid, right? I was like, I think Bitcoin has won on the monetary war um, and all these other ones are screwed, which is... What you expect, 98% failure in the the traditional startup round, you expect the majority of these things will fail. It doesn't mean they're scams. And hell, let's allow retail to invest in this stuff because um, you can also get the upside of that, right? You And, and you know, I'm really in favour of not a nanny state, you know. I'm in favour of people being fully exposed to the volatility, which we haven't had in, God knows, maybe 100 years since... Mm. Um, Central bank-type policies have come in and controlled um, the stability. So we've had really stable um, money where people are happy to earn, you know, what used to be 2% and be rock solid, whereas the real world is volatile. It's volatile, you know, ridiculously volatile. And um, we've got uh, multiple generations that... Uh, oblivious to it And are so scared of taking risk Which does not push humanity forward um, And this is why probably A lot of people um depressed at home Because they don't get to live You know, like we mm-hmm. were We were um, evolved into a um, a life that was full of risk and we're totally alive and now we're done down with all well, the risk taking off the table and with a nanny state and, um, and I think it's totally good <laughs> even on that alone I think it's totally good that um, people can invest in these volatile very crazy um, ups and totally lose your all of your money on it if you do it badly um, and an instrument I think that we're in an internet age, and all information is out there for people to 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 study. And it's not like it's not like it's predatory. Um, you know, you do have. Scanning. I'm not sure.
2: I'm not sure. I tell you what. I'm I'm reticent to compare investing in crypto protocols to investing in companies for a couple of reasons. Uh, firstly, you you have no legal claim to a company with these tokens. You just have the token itself. Sometimes which have little value beyond being something to pay for gas within the protocol whereas if you are investing in a company you have if you own shares you have a legal claim to part of that company you also have uh, hopefully at some point access to dividends and and such with it whereas um i think ultimately these all these crypto projects fail and my my probably major concern is that <laughs> what happens during this period, what I've noticed with the newer protocols what's coming on is that the hedge funds are largely the ones getting in very early and buying up a substantial amount of the tokens. And what happens when it goes to market, it, it, uh, it, it becomes available to everyone else, but the little guy can still still get absolutely crushed in these markets. So I'm reticent to compare the two, but I, I also at the same time support open and free markets. I'm, I'm not going to be buying them myself. Um, so I'm reticent to compare the two I,
0: mean, the same. I think there are real problems with um, that haven't been fixed, but they can be fixed. Uh, I'll get into that later. I think that um, when I'm talking I'm not talking about like ownership in like um, the next um, you know well, the, you know the next Heinz factory mm-hmm. um, well the Heinz factory. I'm talking about the next thing, right? You have a legal claim onto a startup venture actually you don't even have a legal claim let's face it, if you're going to invest in startups, you don't have a legal claim what you have is a safe note which used to be oh. a convertible debt instrument but now it's like a, this a agreement for future equity you have no legal claim whatsoever, like that's standard if you're at the seed level startup you have no legal claim and even if it goes bust, and if you had a legal claim, what, what are you going to do? Sue them for having a shot at it? So it's not much different. Um, the only difference um, with that's really screwed up in crypto is that you can totally exit scam because you get your money before you've delivered anything.
2: Right? Well, yeah. Um, uh, a, I can go back to a very old interview I did with Jill Carlson. She said, the problem with these crypto protocols is you're doing your seed round and your IPO at the same time, and you haven't found product market fit. And you haven't uh, delivered something which is potentially scalable and will last for years. Now, listen there are different there are different categories within that. Um, you have the outright scams within there, and you have the ones that will appear for a few months and then disappear. And then you have something like Ethereum or Solano, or I think what was it Avex? I can't remember. But they, they they appear that like they might have some more longevity. But what I think will happen is. You know, where Ethereum made a trade-off uh, uh, with centralization and security versus Bitcoin, I think Solano's made a, a bigger trade-off. And I think what will happen is, you know, at some point, other ones will make a bigger and bigger trade-off. And I really feel like there's a massive incentive for hedge funds like uh, Multicoin Capital to support these protocols, get in early, invest their 20 million, which if it's successful, then turns into hundreds of millions, if not billions. But the problem is with these people, to to realize their gains, they have to get uh, liquidity to exit, and their liquidity is going to come from maybe some other hedge funds coming in later, or, or you know, other... Or retail, uh, yeah. Yeah, but th- they're going to need a lot of support from retail at some point or another. And reading in depth the Alan Farrington report, ultimately these systems are kind of screwed because they are... They are kind of Ponzi in design. But what was, re- what was really interesting, Let me, bear with me on this, because I've got Alan's document open for me. And what I, I like that he's done, he's he's been very fair. I'm going to quote him. He's very fair about what, for example, Ethereum is. So he says, The permissionless nature of Ethereum-based applications collapses barrier to entry for entrepreneurs down to zero. End consumers are the primary beneficiaries of this innovative environment because all applications share the same database. The Ethereum blockchain. Moving capital between platforms is trivial. This forces projects to ruthlessly compete on fees and user experience. Now, I think that's a, rather than just when people are out there just saying, oh, Ethereum's a scam. I just think it's a, it's a very, uh, it's, a, it's kind of a silly argument because it it doesn't explain what the scam is. You know, people here have built, and actually quite an interest in technology. Now The idea that I can own an asset, and I have a wallet, and you have a wallet, and we don't have to create an account on every single different website, and we can transfer assets between us is super cool. I think that, that's super interesting. He even said this. He says, this is an admirable achievement. It is easy to see why the combination of features enormously benefits consumer consumers. Um, referring back to our initial characterization of the concept of decentralized finance in the introduction, no individual or entity c- can maliciously or politically affect the market activity, be this in the form of agitating to advantage themselves or disadvantage others." Um, so I, I, that to me was like a very super interesting look at mm. Ethereum as the technology. Not whether it's delivered, not whether it has future scaling issues, what it's trying to achieve. And I struggle to yeah. call that a scam because they're trying to deliver something that doesn't exist within the market. And that's interesting.
0: You know, I think it's, uh, Ethereum gets called a scam because of reflex. Um, it gives a reflex, just a goes reflex because Maximus call any pre-sale a scam because we saw so many scams with pre-sales. Ethereum had a pre-sale, you know, what is it? $15 million pre-sale. Um, and so it was instantly labeled as a scam by Bitcoiners. Um, never mind that Vitalik never exited. Um, and never abandoned the project, and kept pushing it on, right? And no one lost any money, and so effectively, it was exactly like a startup venture where they took money, um, they delivered some technology, and it got traction, and everybody won. Um, but we don't call um, these these startups um, like Airbnb or Uber or Facebook or Google or whatever. We don't call them scams because everybody. Um, well, people people who took the
2: risk knew what they were up for. Depends on the startup. We would call a Theranos a scan.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And because, like, um, but that ultimately, it was whether or not the founder pushed it, the team and the founder pushed it forward and delivered something. Um, and I was going to get to this thing. Is like Ethereum itself. We've got our first um, smart contracts um, platform. People could do a ICO um and solve the exit scam problem by saying we will have um we won't we won't get our pre mine tokens um until you know we get these milestones and you could encode that. you could encode that within these smart contracts networks. can't be your one because your one isn't live yet, but um it's solvable and I think that if we moved voluntarily into this, we'd put a lot more trust. In, um, from the community and that might even um, accelerate their success. So I think we can move into a space where the stuff can be, you know, the, the scamminess of it can, the potential for scamminess of it can be mitigated. Um, but yeah, I I see now more and more some very legitimate projects and good in- innovation coming in that, um, to be honest, um, many diehard maximists who blind eye to. They just think
2: it's well, scary. What I think, What I think it. the best way to approach um, it, Willie, is that I think ultimately Bitcoin is money and we think Bitcoin is the best form of money and it supports freedom. I think you and I fundamentally agree on that. Maximalists agree on that. Even a number of people who are saying Ethereum would agree on that. I mean, Lane, who I was with the other day, he's an Ethereum guy, but like he agrees with that. What I've noticed is that shouting at somebody about Ethereum does not change their opinion on Ethereum. But educating them maybe on why Bitcoin is different and what it offers them, it might like Dan Hale said the other Dan Hale said the other day, look, you've made a load of money on doggy coin. Maybe you can put a little bit of that in Bitcoin. So what I would rather do from the approach now on is rather than just be like toxic and yelling at people about why you know Bitcoin is better, despite the fact I did a little triggering email at <laughs> TweetStorm yesterday, is actually I I I'm probably just gonna talk about what potential problems exist with Ethereum and say to people, look, you might make some money, but you definitely want to consider holding some in Bitcoin. And this is why Alan's approach is really good. He recognizes what the achievement is with Ethereum, but then he critiques what its problem is. So I've got this here, like, the underlying backend infrastructure for DeFi, Ethereum must continue to scale in order to support higher bandwidth demands, processing approximately 1.5 million unique transactions per day. Ethereum is already at its current max capacity and transaction fees have spiked as a result. But notice transactions fee spike and is good for security. So we have somewhat a perverse situation in which the more security protocol, the more secure the protocol becomes, the more its value proposition suffers. In order to become more usable, it has to become less secure. So it's it's like it's kind of interesting that that you you can I think it's more interesting to critique it like you would critique Bitcoin and say, look, if you're gonna invest, this is the risk and this is where to put the money. But I just think yelling at each other is not not got us anywhere. And actually, I think it's just kind of PTSD from 2017 where people think they need to yell at somebody because of what happened with the fork wars. But I think we just have to mature beyond that. We've got hedge funds and crypto investors and Wall Street guys and retail. There's lots of people looking at the crypto space. And I think it's, it's a potentially losing a war nav- narrative to shout about the wrong things. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, I really think uh, the I think Bitcoiners are like um, you know, unlike um, maybe Michael Saylor thinks this is like the hornet, the hornets that defend it. I actually think they're doing um, Bitcoin a disservice. Um, Just it's it. Sometimes I look at crypto Twitter and I look at the Bitcoin conversations, and it's almost like boomers yelling yelling at the the cloud type thing, you know, like there's there's nothing new. It's like um Bitcoin fixes this, all these memes, laser eyes, um like have fun saying staying poor. Like it's just meme after meme after meme, but not a lot of, you know, if you you remember like back in the day, <laughs> like back in the day, only like five years ago, um there was really smart conversation going on about um, the tech. Um, that's all gone now. It's all just memes. And the, the interesting conversations tend to be in these newer protocols um, because they're trying new stuff and they're not, um, I don't know if it's arrogance, but its I don't know why Bitcoiners need to be so insecure. It's already won the monetary network. Um, and, I, and in a way, Oh, it's. I think it's beneficial. People stack Bitcoin, and then they then move into um, these other investments, and then bring it back. Right? You get velocity. You get Bitcoin being used as a like we actually in twenty seventeen, even as much as it was a bubble. That's what we used to do. We'd like stack it into Bitcoin, and then we might buy some. It might have been a scam, might have been interesting, or it might have been totally, um, you, you know, you lose your shirt on it. But if you made some money, you bring it back into Bitcoin. And we had a lot of, and Bitcoin was being used. Like, that's your store of value. That's your safe spot. That's your money. And then you go to, and I think it's much more healthy to have that than everyone saying, don't invest in all this other stuff, which is actually new innovations, um, let's just hoard it into Bitcoin and not do this stuff so that we don't actually have the, the you know, decentralised web. You don't actually have all this innovation. Like, you, How are we going to digitise um, traditional finance and then go beyond that? Um, if we just hoard our Bitcoin and hodl it um, and then shit on any project that wants to try something new, Um like what that ends up is that you get a whole bunch on one side, which are Bitcoin hodlers, and the other side you have traditional finance um, providing all the services the world needs: insurance products, <laughs> like you, like like you know um, options, like well you know you can just name like all the stuff that we need: mortgages, whatever you can think of. You know, who's got a mortgage here? You know, who's taking a line of credit out? We'd we'd be in this world where we have Bitcoin on one side and traditional financially providing all the services that people need. The the, the I would much rather have Bitcoin as the monetary base and a really nice bunch of um, crypto networks that are providing um, these services and they don't necessarily need to be um, the ultimate in decentralization like Bitcoin. They can be Decentralized enough, you know, to Mm. give people access.
1: Okay, I do have a message from my amazing show sponsors. And first up today, we have BlockFi, who recently announced the launch of the BlockFi Rewards Visa Signature Card. Now, for people living out in the US who own or are interested in owning Bitcoin or stacking more SATs, the BlockFi Rewards credit card provides the easiest way for you to earn more Bitcoin because you can get an amazing 1.5% back in Bitcoin on all card purchases. And you know what? there is no annual fee. It is the smartest way to sack sats with Bitcoin rewards on every purchase. Now, not just that 1.5% back, but you can get 3.5% back in Bitcoin during your first three months of card ownership, and you can get 2% back in Bitcoin on every purchase of over 50000 of annual spend. If you're interested in finding out more, then please head over to BlockFi.com, which is B-L-O-C-K-F-I.com. Also, let's talk about Ledger, the world's most popular hardware wallet. Now, a hardware wallet allows you to take custody of your Bitcoin. And I have been a Ledger customer since early 2017. And I'm still using the same Nano S I bought back then. Ledger makes it easy for you to safely manage your Bitcoin using their Ledger Live software, which interfaces with your device. And if you're one of those freaks out there using an Android phone, then you can manage your Bitcoin on the go because it connects to your Nano S. If you want to find out more, please head over to ledger.com, which is L-E-D-G-E-R.com. And also, we have Gemini, who I am using exclusively for buying and selling Bitcoin, but I still haven't sold a single sat through Gemini because we are in a bull market and I only want to stack sats. Now, I have been using the Gemini app for buying the dips, but I also set up my DCA with twice monthly buys of Bitcoin, and I'm yet to see a better or easier interface for buying Bitcoin With a streamlined trading view, you have access to all the tools you need to understand Bitcoin and start investing, all through one clear, attractive interface. Now, if you want to find out more, please head over to Gemini.com, which is G-E-M-I-N-I.com. And I'd like to welcome my new sponsor to the show, the awesome Compass Mining. And they are not just a sponsor. I am a customer of theirs, and I am now mining Bitcoin again. It's so good to be back. And I fucking love these guys. Now, Compass makes mining accessible to everyone. And as a Bitcoiner, I'm happy to be supporting the decentralized growth of the hash rate. And it was so easy to get onboarded. And now anyone can mine Bitcoin with Compass Mining. You just pick your machines, you choose your hosting facility, and they help you with everything else. It's so Damn cool. Now if you're interested in mining, you want to find out more about this, then please head over to compassmining.io, which is C-O-M-P-A-S-S-M-I-N-I-N-G dot
2: IO. What I would say is that I, I I would be careful to because I've come up against this before as a mistake to like uh to to group all Bitcoins together. I think there's a there's like a spectrum, right? We've got uh the super hardcore maxis and then we've got people a little bit more kind of like happy to Uh, discuss projects, some people want to invest in multiple ones. There's certainly a group who are absolutely firm in their defense what they believe is their defense of the protocol, especially because of what happened in 2017. And I think if you're someone like President Bukele, who's literally put your uh, uh, Hmm. 95% approval rate on the line to become a Bitcoin-based country, I think it's healthy to know there's a group of people like that who are going to defend any kind of potential attacks on the protocol. And I think that's really super interesting. Uh, And then within there, there's a bunch of people who just recognize that some of these protocols really are most likely to fail. And that's fine, but I, I just think it's a losing war fighting that all the time. But like I say, we have a range of people doing different things, so yeah, you know, kind of doesn't really matter. I did an interview with this guy. Do you know Greg Carlson from XBTO? No. I did an interview with him the other day, and I felt like his thesis was kind of really interesting. He said to me, Bitcoin is sound money, and it's moves slow, it's a glacier. He said it has to because yeah. everything it builds has to be right and has to work and has to be the it just it has to do one job which is be the best money in the world. Therefore, maximally decentralize and work. He said, he said NFTs, uh, uh, security, security tokens, ICOs, all those smart contract platforms really are a test bed for what works. Yeah, you because know, it's in a move fast break things environment. Once you find out what there's market demand for, that ultimately could get built on a Bitcoin layer because you would want to have that on a sound money layer. And he was similar to you. He said, the shit coins, they're venture capital for 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 uh, uh, Gen, Gen X. Is it Gen X or Zoomers? He said it's venture capital for those people who can't get in to venture investing elsewhere and go out and have a bit of fun. Yeah. And I kind of felt like that was a, a pretty interesting thesis and Something I'm happy to, like, happy to discuss. I'm, I'm still going to be aware of that. Yeah, Bitcoin, I, I, think,
0: I think it's valid. I, I don't think it will all be built on Bitcoin. I don't think it's feasi- feasibly um, possible. And no, knowing how technology has evolved on the, online and within computers, um, there's not ever going to be one. Like, um, people keep thinking Ethereum's a competitor. Um, but, um, you know, Bitcoin's very simple. It's a protocol. You know, protocols are like, you define protocols as things that message. And the message we're sending is I'm sending you money. Um, whereas Ethereum is not a protocol, it's a platform. A platform gives you a whole development environment and a language to create things with. And so once you're a platform, um, things come into fashion, out of fashion. They're not like um, like internet the internet is based on TCP IP, right? That's a protocol. All you do is you send bits of data to each other. You do handshakes. That's like Bitcoin. Um, Ethereum is a platform. Um, and, you know, if anyone's been in computers long enough, you will notice that, like, you could look at any website on the web and it's a website, right? Um, that's sent to you through a protocol. But the platform it's built on, it changes all the time, you know? <laughs> like, it's, it can be built on Python, it can be built on you know, JavaScript, PHP, whatever. Like um, Facebook was built on PHP and then they moved to their own version. Now anything at scale uses probably five or ten different platforms to build their individual bits. And I think that's what's going to happen with these these um, crypto platforms is they will use <laughs> a whole bunch of them and they'll come into and out of fashion. Um, you'll see, you know, like Tether... Jump from Omni Layer to um, Ethereum EC, ERC twenties, and then now they're, they're on Tron, I think, and Solana. Um, so you'll see some of these applications start to spread across different networks. Um, and so yeah, it's that's completely different things, and I don't think that Bitcoin should be worried about it, and Ethereum should be like in a you know, a knife fight with other, (laughs) like maybe not even that. It's it's just like it's got to find its niche of why people are going to choose that versus Solana or the next thing or the next thing because each one of them will do a job, if they're done right, designed to do a job very, very well in a particular niche and they'll grab that because that's a particular need and then things will change and there'll be another need and another platform come along. And I think that is what we'll see um, because we've seen it before.
2: Well, that was my debate with uh, Kna- Svenholm when I discussed with him. He was like, um, he said Ethereum has no utility, and I was like, well, the people <laughs> using the people using it are finding utility, so it has utility. It's just, oh my you god, disagree it's, with god, it.
0: I mean, I, um, I use Bitcoin as um, I use Bitcoin as a store of value, sure. Um, so it's it's stuck in a cold storage, right? I use Ethereum. Um, as part of my like, private banking, because private banking is so shitty, right? Um, because sending US dollars anywhere is crap, it gets blocked. Um, I think I, I'm going to end with these rants, so I'm not going to talk about why they get blocked, they always get blocked. Um, so
2: eventually oh, I just... Go, but everyone loved your rant last month.
0: Every dollar I get, I move it onto the exchange and I convert it to USDC. So now I can move that stuff, you know, whether I'm going to invest in something or whether I want to get yield from it. This is all running on Ethereum, <laughs> right? Like the finance, I'm using private banking in part powered by Ethereum um, because USDC is on it, you know. Maybe it'll run on a Solana if I was to use their version of it. Um so, you know, it is day to day I use it a lot. Um so like yeah, you know, Bitcoin's nice. It's cr- it's a it's a great store of value and great. It's also a great um it's putting up the fight in the geopolitical sense of yeah. Um that's really important. Um and it's you know, maybe it's it's like I think Jack Mollers would say that that's much more important than me getting my banking done. Um cuz I'm already I can get my stuff done whereas there's a whole part of the world that is completely screwed. So um, that Bitcoin um, sort of fight is is very important for you know geopolitically future of the world sort of thing. Um,
2: well, I, I noticed you've been tweeting a bit more about those kind of issues, and maybe have all the time, and I've not really noticed it, but I've kind of noticed recently you've been you know, part of the fight, part of the argument yeah. for Bitcoin, part of the argument for freedom. I think it's I think it's a really interesting time for that as well like I put out this tweet that I'm so embarrassed about at the start of the lockdown, but <laughs> you know when the lockdowns first happened and we' were seeing, seeing like bodies in China falling on the floor and dying and um, major issues in Wuhan and Italy, I was like look i I support these lockdowns I support the i can't remember exactly what I said like I think I said I support draconian uh <laughs> uh, laws to protect us. Honestly, I'm so embarrassed about it now. I think I've become more orange-pilled in the last six months than any time previously in Bitcoin, but I'm almost too embarrassed to admit it because it's like, oh yeah, you're flip-flopping. Like Following everything that's happened in Melbourne, in Australia now, I think is a real lens to how scary a uh, Western supposedly civilized democracy can get. Have you seen, have you been following what's happening in Melbourne?
0: Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Like um, It's real clear to me that you know, um, funny thing is, like, every time we get to the f- end of an epoch of an era of money, it happens every hundred years, um, there's something like 70% chance of a war happening, like a world war. And I, I'm getting to think the world war that's going to happen is not like others. It's pretty much the people against the, the, their governments. Mm. Um, I think that's it's like a revolution war, Um yeah, and it kind of makes sense because the world's very well-travelled now. We've been to different places and we like people from the other um, walks of life. Um, it's really the disconnect. You, you only go to war to this kind of alien um, culture that you you don't, like, understand or don't like at all, and... Um, that's from that's like um, the common people and the elites. <laughs> like yeah. right now, it's like it seems like that's going to be the war that's that's going to happen. Um, and so, yeah. And well, and these, this is front and center. You know, our own money is is front and center in something like this.
2: Well, it's, um, I mean, really, I mean, Marx would have called them the the was it the proletariat? In uh, Melbourne? Um I think it was a real attack on you know, working class to mandate vaccine for construction workers. And listen, look, I've said it before, I'm vaccinated. I think the stats clearly show that in most scenarios, that uh, vaccines are, they make sense. But I absolutely support the idea this should be optional because people have taken the vaccine and died, or people have taken the vaccine and they've had heart issues. Now you can't force something on somebody that has a risk of killing them. I just don't believe. Yeah, well, it's, you can it's do even
0: that. It's, it's it's not even that, right? You can't force someone to take something into their own sovereign body. Yeah. Um, because if you can, then what what's to say that like maybe this? Let's assume that the government is out for our best interests. You know, they haven't shown that um, of late for the last few decades. But let's assume that's the case since they're, they're out for our own benefit. And then we take this vaccine and we like say, um, okay, you now have jurisdiction on what I put into my body. That's just a 1984 scenario, right? No, what's the well, next thing they're going to stick in your yeah. body? Yeah, totally. So I think it's, it's, uh, this is about pro-freedom. Um, and yeah, I think that <laughs> there's this growing anger and that's kind of very dangerous.
2: Um, well, well, if really you look angry. at look at this thing in Melbourne now, so it's the slippery slope is really interesting because I've been following it daily. So, uh, a couple of days ago, aerial footage is now banned. You, the helicopters have to get approval to go up and take aerial footage. So they don't want aerial footage of the protests because they don't want to show the size of the protests, um, some of the violence. If you just go onto Twitter and you search for Melbourne and go into videos, some of the violence that's been uh, dished out by the police, riot police, whoever they are. I mean, there's one shot of a guy in the train station whose face slammed into the floor. They're, sh- they're shooting people with rubber bullets, um, which I think is a very dangerous dangerous step. Now, today, there's an internet blackout in Melbourne. There's an actual internet blackout because they don't want people sharing like you're, the you're
0: describing China, really. It's like Australia's China in China, right? We're going to ban this because that, that footage will leak. Um, the Great Wall, The Great Wall of Australia...
2: The irony that Australia is kind of in a semi-Cold War with China at the moment anyway is is an interesting lens to see Australia become the same. But then you, then you compare it to the US and you say, well, look what's happening in New York. I've just been there and I had to, in almost every scenario, show my ID and my proof of vaccine to get into any restaurant or bar. Now, luckily, US has the federal system, so you can choose to opt out of that and go and live in... I don't know Texas yeah. or Florida or, or you know Wyoming, you know the free states. In the UK, we don't have that, and and I feel like if you had a spectrum of this kind of new wave of authoritarianism, you know the UK isn't hugely behind Australia yet. Yeah, we're not there yet, but you can see this slippery slope. So the
0: the only thing that saves us is decentralisation. The reason why you can move to a different state in the federal system in the US is because it's decentralised. Um, ultimately, this is the only thing that that beats um, totalitarianism is is, is decentralisation.
1: Um, but e- but even in the US, you say
2: that. Even in the US, what's kind of interesting at the moment is that Biden has mandated all companies with more than a hundred employees, everyone has to be vaccinated. And I don't know what's the state of that status that is. And I was listening to. I've mentioned this on the show before. Uh, I was listening to Jack Murphy on a podcast with Tim Paul talking about something like i hope i 've got this correct there 's a fourteen thousand dollar fine if you um if you don't uh, if one of your employees is not vaccinated and comes to work and they can just go straight into your bank account and take that money so your ar fifteens don't that 's what they're talking about your a r fifteens can 't stop that happening they just take they just steal your private property, so they 're coercing the owners of companies into who they can and can't employ, which is squeezing people. I don't know, you know what they can do on a state level to... Well,
0: I don't even think the federal government has that jurisdiction. Like, Yeah, um, I thought but, it didn't. You know, it's like over the last two decades, the federal government's doing been doing a power grab and disassembling a lot of the structure that was put in place in the US. Um, and, you know, I think ultimately, I mean, it's almost a cliche, you know, a democracy... Is only there on the strength of um, the citizen that defends it, and um, like I mean, even that, you know, it's getting weaker and weaker. It's, it's nothing like the '60s where people really went out on the streets and and um, totally pushed, um, you know, say the U.S. against war and and whatnot, you know. So, well, the um, problem has is, been really week.
2: is so many people actually support a lot of the government decisions. So, you can easily follow it by following just go on Twitter. There's a lot of people in New York who absolutely support the idea of vaccine passports and you know one guy I replied to on Twitter the other day who talked about you know this the system doesn't work currently as a pass, passport because you show the card which you can lose or you have different versions from different locations. You really need some kind of like coordinated app, which I you know, made a joke about um but <laughs> it's, it's yeah it's really interesting because you know, not just because of Bitcoin, but just because of watching what's happened, I, I think the last six months I've been more orange-pilled than ever and started to realize, like, I, like I am pro-vaccine choice and I'm vaccinating myself, but I feel like I really need to stand up and support those who don't want to be vaccinated, their free choice. Like, I absolutely have to support that. Um, yeah. Yep, I yeah. agree. I agree. Um
0: You know, meanwhile, like um, in New Zealand, I see everyone's very, um, they're they're pro the government there. And what's interesting to me is that there's a government where it's led by um, Jacinda Ardern, who's shown an immense amount of empathy for people and she never goes on air to tell people what to do. She always says, Good on you, like mama. <laughs> Good on you. Encourages you, goes, And we have to dig in. I'm really asking you to stay at home. And, you know, like, um, it's like you do that, and then you see what happens is like you have huge amounts of support and trust, and people um, can work together as a country. I mean, New Zealand's eliminated the virus um, on two occasions now. I think, um, I think right now there's another, another, um, Another um, spread of the new Delta variant, but like and like everyone's locking down and they're doing their bit, and they're doing it like almost like a war, you know, World War II kind of spirit of digging in, um, because there's a government that they trust because it's shown empathy and it's asked and never told, and on the other side of the the ditch in Australia, you've got the exact opposite. Yeah, we call it the other side of the ditch. Um, you got the exact opposite: rubber bullets, banning this, banning drones, banning the internet for all we know. <laughs> so yeah, it's it's a real eye opener. It's like how stupid can you get to, um, you know? Like I mean, uh, we're adults, right? We we kind of figured that kind of behavior doesn't work. Yet we see this at a political level.
2: Well, yeah. The the, the problem is is that they've managed to split the people uh you know i would say majority of people would get vaccinated i, th- I think it's a it's not a 50 50 maybe it's a 60 40 70 30 and they've managed to convince enough of the maybe 70 who would or are vaccinated that the unvaccinated are the enemy i actually now i've even changed my language because I, I don't like to use anti-vax in terms of uh the covid vaccine anymore uh, i i, I I, I think anti-vax is a term that has relevance to certain vaccines. I think if you don't take the polio, if you're, you weren't to take a polio vaccine for your for your child, that would be moronic. And I also think the MMR is something that's sensible for people to have for their children. I think it statistically makes sense. And I think if you're against those, then perhaps you could be considered an anti vaxxer But I actually think the term anti-vax is actually uh, insulting now because, really, what it is is uh, I, either vaccine hesitant, you know, or just uh uh you know optionally opt opting out of a specific vaccine but you know, we
0: do it's polarizing dis- right the term polarizing yeah. and that's the problem with the world right now is it's very polarized um the it, it's, the world needs something else right that's like the other direction where we're not polarized and we think freely we're not in one camp or the other um like crypto maximalist versus shitcoiner um, <laughs> that doesn't really help you know the world's never black and white um and so um and all that you know it's you can have two people that get along until they talk about politics and they'll be at each other's throats um because it's so polarizing um and then all um well the the polarizing people is effective yeah it is um so, you know, it's, I think that's what we need to do right now as is, is a is a massive population is to be less polarised. And if anything, that's what um, the media portrays. Um, so, anyway, that's that. Um, how's that for this week's, uh, this month's on-chain analysis? <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> well, but the thing is, Willie,
2: it's like this is why, like, the... Trying to unite people around Bitcoin is actually an important thing, because if you one thing that I've noticed is quite consistent with Bitcoin is a lot of them aren't political. They they're not left or right. Maybe some some are obviously they aren't. But like you start to realise, you give that lens over government and you realise like they're working. They're not really working for you. They're working for themselves. And so perhaps like. That's why Bitcoin is so important. It is that weapon. It is that one. Like, I think it's, I think it's very tough to argue Ethereum can do the same as Bitcoin in, in terms of decentralization and UNSERP in the state. But, I, but, but, you know, please go and create your permissionless tools. But I think Bitcoin does offer that just one bit of hope that actually we have this effective tool where we can route around the state. And I think that's a really important message that I think whether you're a Bitcoiner, whether you're a shitcoiner, whether you're a no-coiner, that you should care about because it ultimately, whether you think you need it or not now, you might need it in the future.
0: Yeah, and no, I totally agree. I totally agree. And it's exactly the framing I think about is that it's the only game in town for a hard money which is really the only game in town behind a hard money is decentralization and um, everything else is a permissionless network um, which is useful you know it it will enable everyday lives but right now um, the thing that's really important geopolitically is a um, hard money that is owned by the people
2: um, well, that makes yeah make, makes El Salvador super interesting to see how that actually works for a state that has it as a legal currency because that might be a, a good test bed.
0: Yeah. I mean I I've, I've been thinking about the statement I made about it's like everything that Bitcoin touches, it decentralizes. And um I've seen so many ways that that's played out, you know, like um Bitcoin was banned in China and um you know, because Bitcoin touched China, and China didn't like um, this thing that they couldn't control, so they banned it. So then, Bitcoin became more decentralized. Um, and then now, the fight right now is um, <clears throat> now the fight right now is um, you know the regulatory um, war that's happening that they want to shut Bitcoin in and and a lot of the um, the permissionless networks down. And, um, you know, if they succeed in America in putting through these regulations that mute um, Bitcoin and altcoins, then what's going to happen is that there's going to be a lot of the entrepreneurial class that will move their companies out of the US and into these tiny little jurisdictions who are going to give it a shot. You know, El Salvador is like one in the spectrum. You've got Singapore, you've got Malta, you've got Switzerland, Zug, you know, in there. So there's a lot of countries that are open to saying, "You, your entrepreneurs come here. And so you, on the one hand, you've got like the EU shutting this down with the essential bank, You've got the US like fighting with regulations. You've got China banning it. The three... Um, major powers like saying, shoo, go away the future and it's going to flock to all these emerging states. Um, and it's, so it's essentially tipping the power um, from these central um, superpowers into um, like a whole bunch of um, distribution of power to these smaller um, regimes. So like there, Bitcoin touches that geopolitically um so yeah, it's 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 interesting. It's uh, it's funny how this works. Say, eh? like Bitcoin fixes this;
1: <laughs> well,
2: <laughs> these well, memes come up again. So when I interviewed Harry Suddock the other day, he said everything is good for Bitcoin.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, everything's good for Bitcoin um, practically. So um, I have to think about what isn't good for Bitcoin. Um, but everything is so far that I've thought about.
2: Maybe a meteor hitting the Earth. Hundred x leverage on um,
0: on futures markets—that's bad for Bitcoin. Um, no, that's definitely bad for Bitcoin. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs>
2: well, this has yeah, been the they, they, least trady chat of all of our chats, and probably the one I've enjoyed the most.
0: <laughs> the last chat was very untrady and. Um, I had to say don't listen to this cuz it's got nothing to watch you, n- nothing that my followers follow me for <laughs> people I think listen to it cuz it was re- reverse hey, psychology
2: it was it was popular we had the we had the pep talk <laughs> as well which was very popular <laughs> and now we're going to have this i think this be going to be popular with really. it i think i think it's i think we've talked about some Oh, interesting let me know things. let
0: me know I, I just think people are more into um, like overseeing how their bank balances or their Bitcoin balances, we'll and up. what the market's going to do. There's not much um, to which say is What this you're much. trying to get away from, right?
2: Well, yes and no. Yeah. What well, do you think? I'm. Do you think this is my manipulation to keep you on the show, but not talk about trading? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Perhaps. I think you're just bored of markets.
2: Oh. Well, I know it's just look. When markets are going up, it's super interesting. And when markets are dropping, interesting. When we go sideways, what what can you say? There's not too much you can say. The um, market's so, going
0: up. It's just that um, the price
2: hasn't um, figured it out yet. Yeah, but, but let's <laughs> reinforce the reason why you should have some Bitcoin and hold it. And you know, if the market's going sideways, you want to be stacking. Yeah, or if the market's I mean, dropping, yeah. you want to be stacking. If the market's going up, you want to be stacking. Everything's good for Bitcoin. Always stack.
0: Correct. <laughs> um, yeah.
2: Well, Okay. I loved it anyway, Woody. I think this is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, soon enough, we're going to have a beer in person at some point.
0: Yeah, it yeah, sounds good. We'll have to be. Um, I don't know when.
2: <laughs> some point. Some I,
0: point. I, I kind of think we're, we're not going to have free travel to um, central bank digital countries. <laughs> central bank digital, digital currencies are out. Um, oh, God. I think that uh, I, I really think um, there's some sort of bullshit mandate um, that's like, you know they we're going to have all these, whatever, stop people from spending money. Um, we've got to keep inflation under control. Um, we're in an era where um, monetary policy and fiscal policy uh, together in ho- c- cahoots. Um, and it's was like, shit, if we unlock the world and travelled, we're going to see a real runaway inflation because people can start mm-hmm. spending money and that velocity is going to just go through the economy and... Uh, <laughs> um, that's that's probably probably why that's my that's the reason why i think that like why why are we like locked down for so long when the risks aren't actually that high anymore um this control, doesn't make sense man. control control and like control over the economy <laughs> yeah so mm. anyway
2: all right man well listen i love this one and i think people will love it too and uh Hopefully, I think by next month, maybe we'll be back into uh, crazy bull times and we could talk about trading.
0: Okay, sounds good. It is crazy bull times. People haven't figured it out yet.
2: (laughs) Peace out, my man.
0: (laughs) Okay, man. Catch you later.
2: Hope you enjoyed this one. If you've got any questions, you know you can reach out to me. My email address is hello at com, or you can hit me up on my Telegram group. Outside of that, if you want to support the show, I only ever want you to do one thing just head over to Apple Podcasts, leave me a review. Hopefully you think the show deserves five stars. Outside of that, have a great rest of your week, and I will see you all very soon.